You ready to get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Literally one of the greatest pop punk songs of all time. I know. I have like a lot of questions about how they put like a bass drum underneath every single drum sound. I'm into that. There's like a bass drum underneath the hi-hat. <laughs> like, I don't know where they get this shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I always forget the little record it's, start. It's, it's like important to have a cool intro, I think. Yeah. Um, very Fiddler on the Roof. It's a little cultural appropriation, but that's fine. These drums are massive. They knew that snare was massive. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put that vocal they thing in the that front. that snare, yeah. exactly. They knew it was not really Yeah, it's like, I... This record is great, and I still like a lot of the songs. Nice castanet sound, by yeah. the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but the drums are like the all-star to me. I mean, yeah. she's a good singer, too. And the guitar playing is cool. It's interesting. It's like yeah. very like hardcore emo. Oh, yeah. Um, also, like any song that's got a whoa in the chorus. <laughs> oh, it sounds so good. Though. Yeah. And it was like, this was like the peak era of hot punk bands, like doing this drum cut time thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's almost like they had like the Fallout Boy, Blink-182, Take Mac Sunday playbook. They did. And they're like, we're going to blow this shit wide open. Yeah. They took a super pop. Yeah. And they're really cool, like acoustic guitar. Just on, like, yeah. Oh, this song is good. Let's take it to the second chorus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More cast nets, good controlled feedback. I might have to ask you what feedback is. Ooh, yeah. I'm into that. I don't even really know. Yeah, I, I could bullshit at somebody, but... Oh, yeah. Good, good, good like, pop-punk guitar octaves. I know that the guitar octave playing didn't, does not originate from West Montgomery and George Benson in the pop punk world, but in my, <laughs> but in my brain, I'm like, this is the tradition. <laughs> Welcome to Listen to This, a podcast in which we explore songs we like, we research what they mean, how they were recorded, why they were written, why we like them, and why you should listen to this. Welcome back to season two. We're doing it. We got a lot of good songs for you. Today, we're going to talk about a song that led to a 4,000% increase in do-it-yourself hair dye. That's Paramore's classic, Misery Business. Released on May 22nd, 2007, it was the first single off the band's mainstream breakthrough album, Riot. This track was huge and just really hit a wave, eventually becoming triple platinum, which is insane. That's yeah. just like insanity. Yeah. Um, especially for like a song that like, it's a pop song, but it's a little more aggressive than you would than you would imagine. It, it does sort of like have things in common with this like Avril Lavigne tradition. Yeah, but it's a little bit just more rock and Way roll. More rock. Yeah, and I think yeah. like I'm I'm always fascinated that it sold that many copies. Yeah, I mean this song was huge, man. Yeah, huge. The song was a big international hit, proving to be more popular in Brazil than in America. So shout out to Paramore wow. for being good enough to penetrate an actually creative audience. Yeah. Um, the song was produced by David Bendeth. Yes. And it was written yep. by Josh Farrow and Haley Williams, my cousin. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes when I'm like trying to get people to respect me more as a musician, I tell them that John Williams is my dad. <laughs> um, the song was written when Williams was inspired after reading the answers to a question she had posed on the band's live journal. Mm, wow. Asking what people were ashamed of. Just that sentence feels very 2007. Very. So we were so innocent back then. I know. 
Um, what do you know about David Bendeth? He's a big guy in the heavier rock, pop punk, mm-hmm. metalcore scene. Yeah. He was like a staff um, producer and engineer for like CBS in like maybe the 70s or 80s. And I think he got fed up with like the corporate structure of producing music. Yeah. Um, I think he was in Canada or he was Canadian or something like that. And he just kind of got fed up with it and, was, and he was working with some engineers and he was like, hey, like, why don't we just go do our own thing? Like, we can do this. We don't need to be working with these guys. And so with this like fed up attitude, they went and they did their own music, made their own studio, had their own thing. And they like specialized in creating like really heavy music. And he still works today. Yeah, because I want to say that this album shares a lot in common sonically with a couple other mm-hmm. heavier bands that achieved like some mainstream success. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Paramore is the most well-known. But I think like when you think about the third, maybe Coheed and Cambria record, yeah. also like Circa Survive, yeah. that sort of sound was really popular kind of in like the – there needs to be a word for like whatever the mainstream underground is. Right. Is there a word for that? You know mainstream what I'm talking about? underground. Because like Paramore, this was like, I was younger back then. So yeah. like I actually knew what the fuck was going on yeah. in the, the streets of music as right. it were. Right. So like Paramore was popular. People, yeah. pe- they, but they were like right on the cusp. And this record just blew them up. I mean, and then a couple years later, she collaborate, Haley Williams collaborates with B.O.B. on Airplanes. Yep. And then she becomes like an honest to god yeah. pop star i mean she also had that other song like two or three years ago which one um, ain't it fun yeah like yeah, that was yeah. A massive Pro- too. produced by justin johnson nice. the bass player for beck nice they also produced a great t and sarah album well but that 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 back that bass part on is insane it's, yeah it's an amazing bass part yeah because eventually what happens over the years is paramore becomes less and less of uh, like an original member yeah. band their classic lineup sort of changes they of actually the guy who co-wrote this song with Haley williams left the band i believe in 2010 mm. um after a really good record they put out that i can't remember the name of yeah. now <laughs> it had a butterfly on the cover <laughs> <laughs> um man the first thing i want to ask you about like how do you get drum sounds like this because they sound like they're the fucking most treated epic perfect samples but it's a guy playing drums That's, it's definitely a guy playing drums yeah, yeah. How is it so beefy and good? <laughs> well, you do have to start out with an amazing drum recording. Got it. Okay. Have to have a dr- great drum recording. Like if you don't have a great drum recording, it doesn't matter how many samples yeah. you put on it. It's going to sound crazy unless you're doing like doom metal or something, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so obviously a great recording. Um, David Bendeth is an amazing engineer. And I also think that his other, his other engineer at the time was, um, it's killing me, Dan Corneth. Okay. Who's a big time. Also like, you know, he worked on a lot of the um, Pierce the Veil stuff. Oh, he, cool. Yeah. He also worked a lot on It's Killing Me. It's, it'll come to me. But he worked on this one group. It was fucking, they were huge. And it was big rock sounds. So these guys are just used to like making like aggressive rock for arenas almost. Yeah. Yeah. Or like big clubs, I guess. Yeah, big rock. And so with that, with their expertise, they're able to enhance their amazing drum recordings with amazing treated samples yeah and they literally literally sounds incredible it does sound like kick drums on everything yeah i don't think i tastefully yeah i don't think i've heard uh a rock record 
with like better sounding drums in my life, which yeah. sounds so like, I know like that's like, like a comment where somebody's like, you're an idiot, like yeah. fucking Led Zeppelin. But I'm I'm, I'm like, yeah, I, like John Bottom is a great drummer and I like those drum recordings quite a bit, obviously. Yeah. But like this always just like makes me kind of almost like shit my pants every yeah. time I hear it. I'm like, that's what it sounds like? Yeah, I mean, they mixed the drums really up front yeah. too because I think they knew they had an amazing sound. And, yeah. I mean, and these drums like in like the audio world are still talked about today yeah. of trying to capture like that snare drum or those toms or those cymbals. It's, it, it still holds up today. It feels like a tight band playing a song and like in keeping with like the pop punk traditions of the past, the drummer is the best part of the band. I mean, yeah. I think that's like just kind of how it works in this style of music. Well, pop punk drumming is hard. Yeah. Whereas the rest of it is fast. Yeah. I don't know if I would say it's hard. Yeah, exactly. Like just ripping <laughs> four power chords. Yeah. Look, it's it's it can be difficult, but yeah. like once you learn it. But like there is sort of like this like bravado to pop punk drumming, which like it's about being intricate and loud and playing all these cool parts. And like this guy just nails it. Really, really great yeah. performance recording. Um, you know, obviously we gotta talk a little bit about Haley Williams as a vocalist, uh -huh. kind of a weird, super all-star singer. Yeah, I mean, influenced a generation. Yeah. Where today, I feel bad because if you front a female rock group that does yeah. popular rock music, people are going to be like, oh, it's like Haley Williams. Do you know who Haley Williams is? Yeah. Oh, and it's like, even though she influenced a lot of girls to front bands, yeah. I feel like a lot of these girls have to deal with like, Haley being like this legacy character. Yeah, it's a tough, it's like a tough act to follow because she kind of blew the doors wide open to mainstream audiences in a way that didn't feel like very contrived. Yeah. Like, listen, I love Avril Lavigne, but even in 2001, I think when she popped out with that complicated song, I mean, I was like 11. Yeah. And even at 11, I was like, somebody made this fucking thing in a lab. It's for, super like, pop. Yeah. <laughs> super pop. Shout out to the, ma still the, amazing, the machine, though. the guys who produced it. Oh, really, the machine. Yeah. <laughs> really good. They yeah. also did that fucking awesome Liz Fair song, Why Can't I? Oh, wow. Yeah. But, but like yeah, <laughs> yeah wow. man I want I once went on tour opening for this dude and his drummer was the guy who had played drums on that Liz Fair song his yeah. drummer was so fucking weird dude oh, wow. it's like what a nice guy but like so yeah. odd anyway um great sounding drums the last thing I want to talk about in and, and it, you know this is like a bit of a touchy subject for people but the band doesn't play the song anymore. Right. So they said because Halo Williams has been quoted saying uh, because the lyrics in the second verse have been deemed offensive. Okay. And anti-feminist. Okay. Um, I just like want to ask, because this comes up a lot in music. Especially like, now. Especially now. There's yeah. just this idea that like maybe something we said when we recorded it, it doesn't really track well anymore. Yeah. I, I don't know why bands don't just like change the lyrics. Back then or today? It's like today. Yeah, like as they perform it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's like, well, maybe they'll, then they're, the audience will be like, oh, like I want to go back and listen to the song. Yeah. And they listen to the song. It's got these lyrics. I don't know. There could be some like weird hangups with like. It's true. I, might, they might have a hangup with the actual song. That's, and a, that's a good point. I hadn't considered it. Because I'm always like, every time I hear about something this time, I'm just like, just change the lyrics. Like we don't really care about the lyrics to Misery Business. Like as long as the drum sounds are the same. Right. Like, <laughs> We're not suburban moms, yeah, though. Yeah, this is a good point. <laughs> um, I also think it's worth noting that this is Paramore's biggest hit song, co-written 
with a member of the band who had a tumultuous exit from the band. Yes. And am I saying that people are more focused on being petty about songwriting royalty splits than they are focused on saying the right thing? Definitely. I don't know. We can I, cut that part out. It's a little too mean. <laughs> I mean, that's the music business. Yeah, that's like the, the next wrote, the next like note I wrote was the music industry is a business. Yeah, I mean, think about what's happening to System of a Down right now. What's happening to them? Oh, it's, that's all they're arguing. They won't. They people. They have music. Yeah, but they cannot agree on song splits. Yeah, and percentages, and there, there's a massive argument. It's nasty in the headlines. It's nasty. It's crazy, like how and and like. You know, I have like a special place in my heart for lawyers, mm-hmm. some family members, yeah, um, some people I really care about. Lawyers, man, they fuck everything up. Like, Your Honor, I object. You would. We, here we are, like talking about songwriting splits, and you know who probably gets no, who it definitely gets no songwriting splits on this track is the drummer, right? Who we've been talking about the whole time, yeah, as like the reason why this song is like what why you is. should listen yeah. to this, exactly. <laughs> anyway, I guess that just goes to say that. Everyone who's a part of something is a part of something. I agree. And, and they're a part of whatever that thing is. And like when you start like delineating percentages, you're really kind of like ignoring the fact that it's everyone together that makes a thing what it is. Mm-hmm. It's not because there's no like 20% of in reality exactly. of like a, of like a musical or spiritual creation. And it's just kind of weird that that's like what we settled on and we decided to like give up in the early 1900s. Yeah. But, you know, that's just the way it is sometimes. Yes. Some things that are will always be as they are. Unlike this podcast, which is is constantly changing. Um, Season two is going to be really fun of of listening to this. We got a lot of songs. We got Judy Garland coming up. We got Eiffel 65 Blue. I don't know if you remember that one. Fade Into You by Mozzie Star. We got some Incubus, some more Kanye West graduation, a little Beach Boys, The Police, Adele, Back That Ass Up by Juvenile, (laughs) Take It to the Limit by The Eagles. We're taking it to the limit with what we're bringing to you in this podcast. This is Listen to This. We're back for season two. If you've ever wanted to learn about some of the songs you know and love or learn about some of the songs that you don't know yet, but you probably will at least find interesting, please check us out. Don't forget to like our podcast subscribe to it leave us a rating be like ben you have a really sexy voice (laughs) or luke you make ben sound smart by dropping in with intelligent things to say also don't hesitate to get at us and tell us songs that you want to do we did start a patreon page we're gonna have exclusive podcasts on there and if you sign up for part of our premium package we will do a customized episode exactly for you doesn't matter the song we'll listen to a whole beethoven sonata allegro form (laughs) we'll do it all we'll talk about it we'll be like the drum recording on this beethoven song's (laughs) fucking sick beethoven and mozart arguing about royalties right (laughs) anyway you know just just keep keep listening to the podcast we really appreciate it we are lucky to be here spreading the gospel listening to music with a little bit more of a refined ear a little bit more patience and a little bit more foresight this is listen to this (laughs) 